3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. How are we going? Morning. Morning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really so unenthused. I'll get there. Come on, come on, you can do it. You got your coffee and everything. Yeah. Maybe just to let you all know you're on 3CR Thursday breakfast. 8.55am. <laughs> you're here with me, um, Carly and Kate, this morning. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just struggling with my headphones. You anyway, need, we're all... She needs a moment. <laughs> she needs a moment. But we're happy to have you here with us this morning. What are, what are we... We're the 5th of September. Yeah. Happy September. spring, everyone. Mm, we mm. made it. We made it through the winter. Mm. I feel very proud of us all. Uh, absolutely. I got through without buying a puffer jacket, so I'm very proud oh, of really? myself. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, can you even sit here? <laughs> yeah, how are you still here? That's actually, that's actually really impressive. We should, we should just interview you about that. Just <laughs> put it on headlines. Oh, dear. Um, so the show this morning. The show this morning. Getting to the point. Um, so first up, we're, we're actually so stoked we're going to be joined in the studio by the incredible rapper Birds, Mm. um, who'll be coming in pretty shortly, actually, um, to talk with us about all his amazing work, and particularly because he's going to be performing in Nocturnal at the Melbourne Museum this Friday night. So we'll be chatting about that. I think you'll be going along to that too, hey? Yes, I'm very excited. Um, And then we're going to be listening to a conversation that I had with Paul and June from the First People's Disability Network of Australia, um, because the Nunaron Aboriginal Art Group are actually showcasing that artwork at the United Nations headquarters. Um, Yeah, really exciting exhibition. And then after that, we will be talking with Aaron from the Tamil Refugee Council um, about, I guess, getting an update on what's happening with Priya and Nadesh. Um, the family from Beloila uh, who, you know, were moved to Christmas Island earlier this week and the court hearing has been moved, shifted until, I think, tomorrow. Is yeah, that right? Friday, yeah. Yeah, so we're just going to get an update about everything that's going on with their case um, and what we can do to support. Mm. And then we're going to be speaking with Anish Morris um, talking about the Jabarong Solidarity Rally at Parliament House on Tuesday from 8.30am. And last up, we'll be chatting with Tyson, who's one of the co-curators of the exhibition Code Switch at Black Dot Gallery, um, about yeah, about the exhibition that I think is opening very soon. We'll get you the details very shortly. But first up this morning, how about we go straight to some news headlines with Kate? So protests in West Papua have continued as people take to the streets to demand independence for their native homeland. In the past fortnight, thousands of people have hit the streets across several districts in the territories of Papua and West Papua. The protests have resulted in dozens of deaths, torching of government buildings, clashes with police and mass arrests. Indonesia's control of the territory has long been a flashpoint of tension with indigenous locals. 
The protests are demanding an end to racial violence and are calling for a referendum on independence for the region. They've become very violent. There are reports that police are shooting into crowds and protesters are are armed with bows and arrows and that local journalists are being paid off to whitewash the events. But these are the largest protests that have been held in the region in years and they have drawn support from across all of Indonesia. And they have renewed calls for a referendum to allow populists to decide for themselves if they want independence or to remain part of Indonesia. So definitely be one to watch in the coming weeks. Now to Victoria, where after a huge scandal surrounding Victorian police faking hundreds of thousands of roadside breath tests over several years, they have now slashed their annual target by half a million. Road policing boss Stephen Lean released Victoria Police Road Safety Strategy for 2019-20 to yesterday and confirmed the breath test target would be reduced to 3 million, down from an internally set number of 4.5 million. So last year, a report into the scandal found unrealistic targets created a perverse incentive that meant it was more important to meet targets than catch drink drivers. The bogus breath test, called falsies by police, were done by blowing into breathalyzers themselves. And to Tasmania, where there is some really good news. From today, Tasmanians can choose whether their gender is included on their birth certificate. In April, State Parliament passed laws making Tasmania the nation's first jurisdiction in which gender on a birth certificate is optional. The laws also removed the requirement for transgender people to have sexual reassignment surgery in order to have a, have a new gender recognised. That, cha- that change brought the southern state into line with the ACT, Northern Territory, South Australia and Western Australia. The Victorian Parliament also voted in favour of such a change in June. The Liberal state government opposed the changes, but the legislation passed lower house on the casting vote of Liberal Speaker Sue Hickey, who crossed the floor. And that is it for news headlines for today. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Kate. And particularly, yeah, that last story, it's so good to hear, particularly in the context of, you know, everything that's happening with the religious discrimination bill at the moment. Mm, Yeah, definitely. It just proves that that it's not losses across the board. Yeah. Yeah. We're not alone in this fight, that there are many non-Aboriginal people that are willing to stand with us to protect country, protect water. You know, these people here get it. They understand why this is so important to our people. Well, I'm expected probably to get locked up, to tell you the truth. Um, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to protect our women's space and our women's country as well, as trees and that. So, um, yeah, and we'll just keep coming back and doing what we have to do. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellows learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe.
here for Bowden. Bullet men be my enemy. These killers be running around still. Serving and protecting white men like a dog with no leash. I'm drunk off what you sold me. Yeah, it's motherfuck the police. Now we say black lives matter, but shit, the fact of Keep your mind on your money and mind your business Cause a white man coming, hunting for the black man Another brother down, watch out for the trap son No one hears the sound, sirens all around me My face to the ground, bounty on my head Will I make another round? Life is but a luxury in this lucky country If you ain't got money, ain't no one above thee Trust me, shit I'm lucky that my mama loved me She showed me beauty in a world that's ugly
Mama always said, don't be scared, be prepared. Best to know yourself, cause this world ain't fair. Reason why we left there, same thing you see here. Always stand tall, never let them see fair. Nothing really changed, man, just a different town. You're still a black kid when it all go down. See nobody telling me it's better than the world. So my nana's dead buddy and it all came up. How could I not love that I never got the touch? How could she show love? She was forced to give up her black child. And that track there was Black Child by Birds featuring Mojo Juju. And before that, we also played another track by Birds, Black Lives Matter. And now joined in the studio, we have Birds himself. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Could you start off by introducing who your mob is, who your country is? Yeah, so um, Nathan Bird, I'm Butchelor. So that's uh, Gary, Fraser Island um, in Queensland. Um, yeah, and Bird family connected to the Hegarty's. Um, yeah, I guess one of the bigger families from the Queensland sort of region. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I grew up in the Northern Territory in the small town of Catherine, uh, which, you know, my um, parents and immediate family are still there. And, um, yeah, now in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, and, yeah, we just played a couple of tracks there, um, Black Child and Black Lives Matter. And a lot of your music um, is very political. Have mm. you found that um, mainstream media is now playing more of your songs? or like? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think, like, um, I think it's, like, yeah, it's something that I've always done because I've always just... You know, I see it as just sharing my story. Mm. Um, and that, I guess, is, you know, being a black fella is, like, inherently political. Mm. <laughs> you know, you sort of grow up with it and you know it from a young age. And and sharing your story in this climate as, you know, as a black fella is kind of, like, that's, you know, it's going to be looked upon as very political or challenging the, the mainstream kind of thing. Um, 
And so I think, yeah, in the beginning it was probably a bit tough. Like, I mean, that's, you know, people like 3CR and, and stations like 3CR and Community Radio really sort of been behind it from the get-go, which has been mad. Um, but now, yeah, I think especially since, like, what I to say about timing, like, especially since, like, the inception of, um, I guess, Briggs really making, you know, an impact mm. ma- in ma- in the mainstream and then with Bad Apples and then, of course, with AB Original really sort of opening opening the floodgates there for mm. artists like me. Um, so, you know, Black Lives Matter, I think, was, like, even played on, you know, I guess what you'd call mainstream radio, which is a bit of a surprise for me. Um, but, yeah, nowadays, like, yeah, like, presently, like, um, there's there's a bit of support there, which is good, yeah. Mm. And why hip-hop? Why rap? What drew, drew you to that? I think just because I can say whatever I want in, like, three minutes. <laughs> 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 to be honest, like, you know, I, I just, I really, um, I fell in love first time hearing them, like, N.W.A. and and people, and, you know, even Snoop and, and like, these people that, these artists that are just really uncensored and um, would just represent where they're from, um, you know, in particular NWA, mm. and, story, and, you know, write stories about where they're from and represent it the way that they see it. And it'd be self, you know, their representation and not someone else talking about it. Which I think is like in Australia, in the context of Australia, it's always, um, you know, non-Indigenous people trying to tell the Indigenous story. And I think hip hop is such a powerful medium, um, for us to be able to share our story, you know, um, accurately and, and from, from our perspective, yeah. Mm. And I think it's really interesting too that you talked about like Snoop mm. and like all of these American <laughs> rappers as well. Yeah. Um, because a lot of, yeah, black Australians, we listen to rap. I love rap. Yeah, I love hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. But growing up, like, there, I didn't really, wasn't really exposed to that. I was actually exposed to more, like, folk music. And yeah, like, right, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, and then yeah. also country as well. Yeah. from Queensland. Oh, yeah, myself. country, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it's so great that now there's so many young black rappers out there. Tasman Keith. Kobe yeah. Who are you excited coming up? I'm really excited by Kobe D. Mm. Like, I think he's an amazing talent. And again, like with the storytelling, mm. I just think, um, yeah, he's super dope. And like, he just has that thing where he connects with people, you know, by just sharing his story. And I think, you know, Tasman's dope too. Um, you know, Nookie, who's on Bad Apples, he's about to, he's gearing up to release an EP, which was pretty dope too. It's incredible. So, yeah, um, it's just a great time right now, and yeah, excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with your latest album as well, um, you've got a couple of singers on there. Mm. Um, so what's your, been your experience of creating music with other artists? Yeah, well, I think like Place of Dreams, this this project that I recently put out is like that's really been. Um, yeah, like really centered around collaboration, probably even more so than my previous projects. Um, and, you know, with different artists and that's just been a great experience. I think that's really for me taken the creativity to the next level and, you know, um, I've learnt a lot through the process. Mm. Um, and yeah, just being able to work with such amazing singers like Echo Vandal and Mojo Juju and, you know, Serena Peck as well. And 
yeah, and on the production side of things, like working with Trials really closely from AB Original, um, and we're still working on stuff now. So it's, yeah, it's it's really dope. It's just sort of entering a whole new world and, and that finding that strength that you get from working with other like-minded people is really exciting, yeah. Mm. Um, and I just have to say, like, the film clip for Black Child is incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you enjoyed exploring that side of music as well, the creation of um, video clips? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say Black Child because I think that was the first one. That's the first video I think I've ever done that I really... Um, was strong on the concept. Mm. I contributed to, I guess, like, that's that's what I wanted. And, you know, Amber, the director, and um, Indoor Fountains and Mangela Productions, like, they who, um, you know, put the clip together, they were really just super dope and just fleshing out that concept and making it a real thing, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, forever grateful for that. But, yeah, I think, like, Black Child... Um, that was just so, um, yeah, dear to the heart, I think, because of what the song's about and, like, just the way it all came together and, like, with Mojo and um, Kait and, and Alice and everybody that's in the clip. Yeah, it's a really special moment. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, yeah, what's on the horizon? Um, oh, just working on new music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sort of, yeah, collaborating a lot and, like, trying to... I guess reach out and work with people that I haven't worked with before, um, which is kind of exciting. Um, and still working with trials a lot. Mm. Um, and hopefully, yeah, there'll be some um, more music before the year's out, but um, maybe just a single or two or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, you're playing this Friday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So this Friday, uh, the Nocturnal um, series at the Melbourne Museum, um, presented by Black and Bright. Um, yeah, it's a really dope lineup. Um, yeah, myself, Dreaming Now from Melbourne area, um, Yoda Yoda Brother, and um, the Marindas, which is super dope singers. Um, I think Soju Gang mm-hmm. on DJ duties. Um, yeah, and it's a just a really dope. Dope lineup, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to yeah party up in the museum. It's going to be cool, yeah, yeah. So everybody should come along and party with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you've drawn on this a few times throughout the interview that um, there's just yeah so many young black artists coming up now, mm. and do you think that this is a really like special time for hip hop in yeah. Australia? Yeah, I think I think it is you know super special just. Um, seeing the way that it's, I guess, coming around now where there's just so many different um, groups and sections and, and people sharing their story. It's not just this one sort of like mono, you mm. know, it's, it's just not, it's not this one story anymore. Like I think, you know, for a long time, to be completely honest, it was just very white male centric and now it's just not that anymore. Yeah. Um, because of the music... Um, is just undeniable, you know. I think there's just so many different stories. And that diversity in the story and experience just makes for so much better music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, you know, all across the country I think it's an exciting time, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think it's really like redefining how we see hip hop too in Australia. Definitely, yeah, definitely. It's looking, yeah. It's I think it's it's you know that too is like a time thing, and and it wouldn't have. There's certain people in the beginning of hip hop here that um, really sort of paved the way as well. You know, people, especially people of color and different people artists back in the day that were doing it when there weren't many black people or, or, or diverse backgrounds doing it at all, mm. you know, um, really breaking down those barriers. Um, but, yeah, now there's, it's just, yeah, the door's open, I think, and it's, yeah, the music's just so dope, so that's good. Yeah. yeah. So now I think we're going to head back to those times in Catherine. Um, <laughs> who was um, your greatest inspirations growing up? Oh, first and foremost, I'd say my family, like my dad. You know, um, just that close to home. He was always my hero and still is. Like, just the adversity in his story, what he's been through. Um, and, you know, I guess outside of that, like, music-wise, um, yeah, you know, growing up in the Territory, like, Yothi Yindi was such a big... That was just, like, you couldn't go past it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, years later, obviously in 2017, I think, like being able to work with, um, you know, G a little bit before he passed and um, and his brother Jono on the Japana um, song was pretty mm. amazing experience. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, I would have to say them. And then I remember, you know, you mentioned country music before, like even like country music, like just growing up with my old man and like traveling from Catherine to Darwin in the car and being forced to listen to country music. <laughs> <laughs> yep, be <Yeah>. there. <laughs> For like three hours, you'd listen to the same album, just like back and back. But, um, and I, I might have been able to sneak in like one little, you know, rap song yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so speaking of Japanese, let's mm. play Sunset Dreaming. Mm.
And that track there was Sunset Dreaming, the Japano remix of By Birds. And now we're going to head into a conversation that I've had with Paul and June from the First Peoples Disability Network of Australia. So here it is. Today I am very excited to be speaking with Paul Calcott and June Rima. Paul Calcott is the National Training and Resource Development Manager and June Rima is the Deputy CEO of the First Peoples Disability Network Australia. Um, and they are calling in from Geneva today because uh, Nunaron, an art group for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists and emerging artists with disabilities, have been invited to exhibit their works at the United Nations headquarters. So welcome, Paul and June. Hi, good morning, welcome, thank you. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, Paul and June, could you first start off by talking a bit about who the First Peoples Disability Network are? Yes, I'll speak there, June, here. So we're a human rights um, organisation. We're the national peak representing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disability. And our work is to give a voice to those people that um, don't um, periodically have a voice to say, talk about their issues or um, connection to services or into having a good life in regards to their disability. So our work is around... um, doing policy sorry I'm a bit tired <laughs> our work is around um, policy to government and non-government organisations for, for them to understand um, culturally you know what needs to be to support our um, people with disability to have the best lives they can mm, absolutely and um, could you speak a bit about Nunaron? So, yeah, well, Nunaron is an art group made up of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists uh, with a lived experience around disability. It's, um, it's an initiative of um, First Peoples Disability Network, and it's for people to come together and um, 
build resilience and connect to community and sort of address things like social isolation. Uh, but the Noonaron is actually not an uh, Aboriginal name. It's made up of two of our artists um, who were very strong people who were there at the very beginning. And one is Nuna, who was a strong saltwater woman artist who has passed away and crossed over to the Dreaming, and Uncle Ron, a Gamilaroi man. And they were both really amazing artists that uh, led the way for us and supported us. And out of respects, we named the group after them. And um, it also fits in because it's a national group, so we don't have to use any particular um, language mm. to... to that's the name of the group. But the artists are all amazing artists and, uh, <clears throat> and they, the stories uh, are about, stories about resilience. It's about um, there's personal stories about people with disabilities and how they've overcome barriers and how they contribute back into the community and how connecting with their culture um, just keeps them strong. Yeah, absolutely. And so this exhibition, uh, Culture is Inclusion, is running from the 2nd to the 14th of September and it's coinciding with committee meetings of the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability and also the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. What are you hoping is discussed at these UN conventions? So um, it's Australia's turn to... um have their review looked at in regards to what work they're doing to address disadvantage, poverty and accessibility and all of those things to support, you know, vulnerable groups around disability. So Australia's signed the convention back in 2008. So this will be their, the review gets done every four years. So this will be their second review in what work's been done to improve, you know, as we said, um, you know, life, life and um, education, access, all those things for people with disability, employment. Mm-hmm. So um, for the NGOs that are here and the DPOs, disability people organisations, which we belong to, ours is to, you know, support the government to understand those real issues as, you know, as NGOs, we're out on the ground. So, you know, even though Australia will be giving their re- report, It'll be time for the NGO groups to question at times, you know, the good things or, you know, the issues that still need to be addressed in regards to, you know, universal access, whether that's housing, education or employment for people with disabilities. And for First Peoples, you know, we're the representative group for, you know, for our our mobs nationally across Australia. So we think it's really important that they have a voice at this table. So that's why um, First People's Disability Network are here. Mm. And through the use of art too, to um, really draw people's attention to these issues is so incredible. Um, How are people responding to the artwork? Oh, look, incredibly well. It's never been done before here. Um, And it's the beauty of our art. It's it's our language. And it's also, you know, the the year of language. And this is our language. We didn't have a written language. Mm. how we passed down stories and conveyed messages and kept records was yes. through the art. Yeah. And uh, we're getting fantastic responses because the artwork gives a human face, a, a human connection to the issues around disability. And as we say, you know, you can have PowerPoints and documents and statistical information, but doing it through art and using symbols that have been used for 80,000 years um, connects with people on a totally different level. Um, and we've had dignitaries come through, ambassadors, uh, given private uh, viewings and told the stories of the individual artists and uh, what their stories and their artwork is about. And it's just really resonating with people. And, and I think really 
um, starting conversations about um, about the work that FPDN does, but the strength that people with disabilities have. It's not all doom and gloom. It's about their con- contributions back into the society, back into the culture, and staying connected. And I think people are finding it that they haven't been exposed to it before, mm. and I think it's really having a really huge impact. Mm, incredible. And how many artists are featuring in this exhibition? Um, there's 12 artists and 13 paintings altogether. Um, I'm one of the artists. Um, I couldn't help myself. I didn't actually do a bit of a role. So that's why I've got the odd numbers. But we've also, um, FPDM will present uh, another painting to the um, Australian um, Commissioner as a thank you um, and also just as a lovely way to connect and, tell, and keep the stories going and thanking them for hosting um, the, the exhibition. So, yeah, they're all artists. It's a mixture of uh, male, female. Our youngest is 17. Our oldest artist is 65. And, um, and we come from multiple language groups. So we're like a mini United Nations ourselves. Here <laughs> um, and what's been the response to from the artists? How do they feel about their work being showcased at the United Nations? They are over the moon. The impact it's had on them and their families, um, on the community. We're based on the Sunshine Coast. Um, the impact it's had on community there, the little group. It's just the people are so proud of the connections and what they're doing. And um, so, and we've actually managed to get some funding. As I said, we're not funded, but the um, Motor Vehicle Accident Insurance Commissioner um, donated some money to sponsor an artist. So we managed to stretch that to support three artists other artists with disabilities to come over and tell their own story and be here at the UN. So um, it's absolutely a huge impact on people personally, but also community-wise and just around disabilities. So, yeah, I can't, I don't know, I can't put into words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, you know, it just gives value to people's lives, you know. Mm. You know, many individuals with disability, what they value, what, you know, was health and well-being to them comes from many arenas and you know for these people to be able to showcase you know their skill sets that they can have a place in society and and be um valued for who they are you know you you can't put a dollar value on that and i think that's what's really important about this mm, absolutely and um, there's just, yeah there's just so much worth in um and so much change happening both individually and for community and also structurally as well. Um, so, yeah, how incredible um, for these artists to be exhibiting work at the United Nations. And, yeah, just lastly, could you tell me what's on the horizon for First Peoples Disability Network Australia? What's going to happen when you come back from Geneva? Well, hopefully, number one, we get some funding to continue the Nunarun group. So, you know, we we would like to spread our wings and, you know, hopefully, you know, have other groups happening across Queensland or other states. But, you know, we need funding and, and the value of, as I said, the health and well-being and the social connection of people coming together and being able to put their story into art, you know, um, is really invaluable but other than that the most important work that we're about to begin now is with the Royal Commission into neglect and abuse of people with disability so for the next three years um, FPDM will be you know working with our communities to enable them to if they want to you know tell their stories but also more importantly help the commissioners to understand policy change 
So, you know, a lot of this neglect and abuse doesn't happen moving forward in the um, new world we have in regards to NDIS or other supports in people's mm. lives. Mm. Yeah, which is a very tricky system to figure out. Yeah. Um, and Carly, just to put the art group in perspective as mm-hmm. well, um, as she said, we don't receive any funding for the group and um, and we operate out of my garage. And so wow. we have a little group on the Sunshine Coast with no funding, SPDM um, supports me and my role to help facilitate the group yeah. and uh, to buy the canvases. And, um, and pretty much we're now representing um, Indigenous, Australian Indigenous cultural disabilities on the world stage, but we... We operate out of my garage and, wow. and, 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 and things we can get here. And uh, to put on the exhibition, um, you know, we had to think of a way to display them because we couldn't afford to get them gallery stretched and ship them. So they're all on just, they've been turned into giant wall hangings. And, um, and we, one of the aunties sewed um, seams on the end to put the dowels through that we got from Bunnings. <laughs> and they're hanging by a garden hooks on panels. We'd like it. it looks amazing, but we, our mob, if anything, we're resilient and um, <laughs> resourceful. And um, so this exhibition has been put on pretty much, um, you know, just on a shoestring mm. budget. And, um, you know, we, we tra- June, and I travelled with them in uh, camping equipment bags on our flights and brought them, <laughs> brought them over. What an incredible it's journey. To be here. Um, we're not funded to be here. Yeah. So work that Paul and I do, out, you know, within FPDN criteria around building capacity is all consultancy work that we do with other NGOs to understand cultural business in our community. So even the fact that Paul and I were able to travel here to, you know, put on this display, which, you know, is is quite amazing. We're not funded to do that either. You mm. know, so. What can people yeah. down here in Melbourne, and also for folks in Melbourne listening, um, the Sunshine Coast is up in Queensland. Is that Cubby Cubby country? Yes, it is. Cubby yeah. Cubby, uh, Ginnabara country. Yeah. yeah, beautiful country up there. Um, defi- yeah. <laughs> the beach. My mob's from Bathurst. So we're Adri mob, so, um, so it's a lot warmer. Mm. Uh, mm. So, yeah. so for and, folks... Um, yeah, down here in Melbourne, um, yeah, how can they support the um, First People's Disability Network and also this group as well? So if people would like to go to our website, you know, um, a lot of the work that we do is documented on the website, which is um, www.fpdn.org.au. There is a donate button there that people can donate to support us, you know, to keep going with our work. Um, as I said, we're a national organisation, but we have a lot of roles internationally. We sit on the Pacific Disability Network Forum, the Commonwealth Disabled People's Forums and many others. But on that donate button, there's a drop-down um, screen that allows you to wherever you want to donate. So if you wanted to donate to the Nunaron Art Group, you just um, click on that. So then that allows us to... Um, disperse the funding where it, where it should be, where the people intended that donation to be placed. Mm. And will any of this artwork or any future artwork by Nunaron be available for sale? Uh, yes, look, it's always available for sale. This one at the moment, there is some interest in some of the um, some of the artwork, um, but uh, yeah, with sponsorship, what, what there's a sponsorship deal where people can sponsor one of the artists and they actually get the original painting as part of it. 
We want to hang on to it for 12 months, though. We've been offered an exhibition at Parliament House in Brisbane, so we'd like to keep the exhibition for 12 months to start the conversations and spread the word about our mob and resilience and strength in disabilities. And at the end of the exhibition like tour, the person will get the painting. But also if they have a look on our website, there's a YouTube channel that actually shows um, each of the artists standing in front of their painting and telling their story about that painting and what it is. So they can actually have a look at the exhibition online. Oh, incredible. Um, well, thank you so much, Paul and June, for joining us here on 3CR. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I always love to have a bit of a yarn about our work and our art group. Yeah, and FPDN, thank you very much also. So we've been around now for 20 years, but the first 10 years of the organisation was unfunded and um, we're just really appreciative of those people that have allowed us to keep going forward and be that voice for our community. And, yeah, to everybody in Melbourne, um, definitely check out the First People's Disability Network Australian website and donate. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Bye. And that was a conversation that I had with Paul and June from the First People's Disability Network of Australia talking about the Nunaron group um, who are over in Geneva at the moment showcasing an exhibition. Um, just incredible, the mm. journey and that story that was told by Paul. Yeah. It was such a great chat. I really, <laughs> really, really enjoyed listening to that one. Thank you so much for doing that interview, Carly. Yeah. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It is 7.48 today on the 5th of September. And up next, we're chatting with Aaron from the Tamil Refugee Council. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining us on the show. First up, would you just be able to introduce yourself for listeners? Uh, yes, so I'm uh, Aaron Malwagnam uh, from the spokesperson for Tamil Refugee Council. Um, I have been assisting Tamil refugees for a very long time and, uh, and recently been involved in the, the case of uh, Pirianades and their two children um, working against uh, uh, the government's attempt to uh, uh, deport them. Mm. Yeah, and we, we asked you on the show this morning um, exactly for that reason, to give listeners a bit of an update about what's going on with Priya Nadesh and their two kids at the moment and the fight against their deportation. Could you share with us, yeah, where, where, where is that at at the moment? The currently uh, family is on uh, Christmas Island. Uh, their court case uh, uh, appeal is, is before the, the federal court and, and we have a hearing uh, on Monday. Uh, sorry, on Friday, yeah. uh, we're likely to uh, get an outcome on Friday. Um, there's an injunction uh, against uh, their removal till 4 p.m. Friday. Uh, so the family is guaranteed to stay here till 4 p.m. Friday, and after that, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's been quite traumatic for all those, uh, all of us involved in this campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Thursday night. Uh, the government tried to remove this family from uh, Broadmeadows Detention Centre. Uh, over 50 guards were involved in that removal. Uh, the mother was separated uh, from uh, her children and, and, uh, and put on a, a separate van and taken to uh, Melbourne Airport. Uh, using the Sky Traders, they were, uh, they were uh, planning to send them uh, to Sri Lanka. Uh, however, you know, as soon as Piria uh, was picked up by the guards, uh, we heard about the news, and I went to the uh, de- detention centre within 10 minutes, but they had managed to 
uh, was impossible to blockade and, and they had managed to leave the camp uh, by the time I got there. So we went to the airport. There were other hundred protesters um, outside the Sky Traders uh, fence. Um, and, uh, you know, we were chanting, let them stay. And, and, and in the meantime, we had two protesters uh, managed to go through the fence and, uh, and they were able to see how Piria was dragged from the van as the children were crying, you know, they were screaming uh, helplessly uh, while Piria was uh, being dragged uh, by, uh, you know, so many guards. And then we heard the news that um, uh, uh, from Piria uh, that uh, when they were on the plane, uh, there were 50 guards just for these four people. Uh, such a waste of money. Millions of dollars would have been um, just uh, spent on trying to get this family to, to Darwin uh, and then from Darwin to Mercury Hotel and then to the military barracks and then to Christmas Island. Like it's, I, I don't know why the, the government is, um, you know, interested in uh, destroying not only this family's uh, uh, lives, um, uh, but also wasting so much of our money uh, on uh, on attempting to remove this family. Mm. Yeah, and it was it was great to see the community response in the SNAP action last Thursday night at the airport um, when there was news that the family was going to be deported. Um, as you're sort of saying, you know, a bunch of folks did rush down there to try to stop that flight to Darwin. Um, unfortunately, you know, it did go ahead. Have you had much contact with the family since they've been moved to Darwin and then Christmas Island? I, I've been speaking to the family uh, regularly, and uh, when, they, when they actually got to the Christmas Island, uh, they were taken to this room that was so dusty to the point where children caught cold, uh, and uh, they, you know, the, the, the immigration or whoever came and um, cleaned the room for them, and, uh, uh, and then they were given a loaf of bread that was long expired. You know, the way, and then the children were denied snacks. Um, the, the way the, the government is treating this family is like, you're not welcome here, you know. You may be Australian-born kids. You may have been, you know, part of a regional community. You may have tens of thousands of Australians um, uh, supporting you. We're still going to treat you shit, you know. It's, uh, um, it, it seems like, you know, the government is not only... Um, mistreating, uh, uh, you know, refugees. It's, it's not just their agenda. It's, it's, it seems like, you know, they, they hate these people for some reason. You know, there's some sort of, um, hate the government uh, is having towards Tamil asylum seekers. You know, that's, that's, that's what I'm, uh, reading. Mm. And, yeah, what, why, why is the government doing this? Because exactly as you're saying, you know, that it's at the expense of millions and millions of dollars and the infliction of unspeakable trauma and cruelty and destruction. And yet the government seems to be hooked on proving a certain point and is not willing or hasn't shown themselves to be willing to shift on that. What, what is actually going on behind that or what, what does this tap into? Yeah, and, you know, this family has received the support from a town that generally um, is not known to be progressive, you know, not known to be uh, the, the, the type that supports refugees. 
Um, this campaign has received support from people like, you know, Alan Jones and, uh, and, and Barnaby Joyce. Yet the government is determined uh, to send this family back to Sri Lanka. And it's, you know, I find it very hard to uh, answer that question. I really don't know why, you know, what the government is going to achieve by uh, sending this family back to Sri Lanka. You know, the ministerial uh, powers are there to um, are there to be used uh, whenever special circumstances uh, arises. Um, and the government is, you know, rather than using those powers, the government is determined to, you know, in front of the, the, the whole Australia, um, determined to send this family uh, back to Sri Lanka. Possibly, you know, they want to send a, a lesson to other asylum seekers waiting uh, in the community. I really don't know. You know, when they first removed this family, there was no immediate attention at all. Um, I remember, you know, there were 20 guards involved in early morning raid. They were taken to uh, Melbourne Detention Centre, and, and at Melbourne Detention Centre, uh, they were asked to sign voluntary deportation documents. Until they signed that, uh, they were not allowed to communicate with the outside world. Um, and Peria was told that she would be separated from her family and sent back to Sri Lanka separately. And that's when they, you know, relented and signed the uh, the voluntary deportation documents. Um, you know, when, when all this happened, the outside world didn't know this was happening, you know, and, and only a week later... Uh, Tamil Refugee Council uh, reported on the uh, on the development. Um, so, you know, the, the government has been saying, you know, we've been, tra- you know, we're not going to let this family stay here because there's a lot of media attention. Uh, but the, the the reality is, the government is used to treating people like this. Um, this is not the first family they have removed. Uh, from the community in this manner. Um, you know, we, we know how they have been treating refugees on Manus and Nauru. Um, there are refugees in the, uh, in, in Australian run detention centers, um, uh, on, on the mainland, uh, where they've been detained for almost 10 years. And, and one of them is a blind Tamil man. Another is a, um, an, another has been diagnosed with leukemia and still continues to be detained. Uh, and so this, this is not a unique case in terms of cruelty uh, towards uh, uh, refugees. Um, it just seems to be a very special case given the support uh, regional Queensland is giving to this family. And I think that is such an important point to make that that while, yeah, while, while this case has received um, you know, more extensive attention in the media and across the political spectrum, that there's nothing exceptional about it, that this level of cruelty and abuse towards um, people who are refugees or asylum seekers is business as usual. That's, that's right. It's, it's business as usual. Uh, but fortunately, Australia is able to put a face to this cruelty now. You know, when they say we're deporting people, this is what they're doing to uh, to people, you know. Uh, Piria, Nades and the two children, the way they were removed last Thursday night and the way they were taken to Christmas Island and, you know, within 36 hours, the children were just being dragged around as if they're toys, you know. Like it's, 
um, it was really heartbreaking to see those um, children uh, being put under so much, um, um, you, know, you know, basically you could call it, you know, the children were um, uh, tortured, you know, by, by, by our government and, and their only crime is being born to, uh, to parents who were seeking asylum in this country. And then these parents, you know, the the father came to this country at a time when in eastern Sri Lanka, tens of thousands of Tamils were being taken away from, uh, you know, sometimes in, in some cases, entire villages were being wiped out by the, the, the Sri Lankan state um, in their operation to completely erase any tiger identity. You know, anybody uh, who may have given support to the tigers uh, uh, during the war were taken and, and are still on missing list. And and the mother came to this country after witnessing the, the death of her fiancé who was burnt alive together with four other men, um, you know. And uh, uh, so when they, you know, when they come here, we come up with the country report. Uh, the country report basically says, you know, you have got a new president in Sri Lanka. The, the wartime president is no longer there. Um, the, the new president may have been the acting defense minister, but he's better than the previous president. Uh, and therefore, Tamils are safe in Sri Lanka. And, and we know that Tamils are safe in Sri Lanka because Sri Lankan president says so. Um, and, uh, and, and that country report gets used to deny majority of the, the Tamil uh, asylum applications. It's, it's so wrong. You know, Australia supported the Sri Lankan government when the killings were taking place uh, in 2009. Australia provided financial support. Australia, uh, you know, donated Navy ships uh, to the Sri Lankan army. And Australia uh, gave diplomatic support at the United Nations to, you know, to protect Sri Lanka from uh, war crimes charges. And now it punishes the Tamils who fled those uh, war criminals. It's it's so wrong. Uh, you know, while the government is mistreating our people in this way, there are over 70,000 Tamils in Australia uh, who are watching our government helplessly destroying our people's lives. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Our guest is Aaron from the Tamil Refugee Council, and we're talking about the unspeakable cruelty um, that is being inflicted on the Tamil family, um, Piriya and Nadesh, and their two kids. Aaron, how can listeners both follow what's going on and also support the family and their two kids? At the moment, the, the only support you can provide to the family is helping them stay in this country. And uh, uh, I encourage uh, the listeners to follow the Tamil Refugee Council uh, Facebook page. Um, There's also Home to Bilo team, um, which is made up of um, uh, Bilo Bilo residents. Um, They have a a page as well uh, for this campaign, uh, Bring Piriya Nades and the uh, and the two girls home to Bilovila. That's the the Facebook page. Um, keep an eye on it. If there is a negative outcome uh, in the court tomorrow, uh, what it means is we only have till 4 p.m. to convince the government or pressure the government to to stop this family 
uh, from being uh, taken away to Sri Lanka. I am of the view that the only thing that can save this family now is people power. And uh, we will be calling emergency actions uh, if you know, if, if the court decision is negative, uh, we encourage people to come up with their own ideas and, uh, and do whatever you think is going to work to stop this family from being taken away. And Aaron, do we know what time tomorrow the, the court decision will be had? I still haven't uh, heard uh, about the time or the, the courtroom, uh, but it's uh, likely to be 9.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be putting it out. Uh, on our Facebook page as soon as uh, we have a confirmation of the time. Um, you know, Looking at how the, the previous hearings have been, it's likely to be around 9.30 a.m. Okay. Yeah, so as Aaron was saying, please, listeners, do stay alert tomorrow um, and, you know, join in when there will likely be, you know, snap actions um, potentially to support the family. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us this morning. We would really, really love to have you back on the show another time soon. Thank you for having me. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Our guest just then was Aaron from the Tamil Refugee Council giving us an update about the case of um, Piriya Nadesh and their two children. The court hearing is tomorrow. Please stay tuned and how you can support.
was uh, by Samper the Great, Freedom. And now on the line we have Nish Morris, um, and he's going to be talking about the Jabarong Solidarity Rally that's happening at Parliament House this Tuesday. Hey, Nish. Hey, how are you going? Good. Um, so what's happening now with the um, Jabarong Embassy? Um, so it's in a quite like interesting and unique situation at the moment. As I guess most of your listeners will probably know, there was an eviction notice, or there still is an eviction notice sort of looming over um, the embassy camps. That expired uh, a couple of weeks ago now. On the day it expired, there was a huge, huge, really um, kind of beautiful, overwhelming presence at camps, probably like, I'm estimating here, but 200, 300 people mm. um, came up for that day. It was a really uh, great day to like community build, um, to meet a few different people, to clue, to clue a few people in. Interestingly, like at some point during the day, some folks from the embassy asked how many people were there for the first time, and I think maybe 70% of people were there for the first time. So this sort of really violent, um, really horrible eviction notice that's been served by... Um, Majority projects and the Andrews government trying to evict Jokorong people, Jokorong people off their own country um, has really sort of struck a chord with people and really mobilised people. But there hasn't been an actual eviction attempt, so there hasn't been um, what we have kind of been waiting for, which is really huge numbers of police to mobilise all at once and come enact some real violence on the campsite. So there's a consistent presence. Um, everyone's holding the front line. Really strongly, really well. Um, there's a few of us down here working on things in the city as well, like the thing, uh, with the rally at Parliament House coming up next Tuesday. But um, I think it's in a really strong position. It's one of I think it's one of like a, a rare opportunity. We don't mm. get these that often to hold these colonial institutions accountable, to hold these politicians accountable, and to like I kind of fluctuate with how optimistic and pessimistic I'm feeling about um, everything with the embassy at different times, but um, it might be a rare opportunity to have a really, really significant win. Mm. And it's just getting so much coverage. Um, So it's been covered by mainstream media now in so-called Australia, and then also I think the New York Times covered um, the Japarong embassy as well. Yeah, the coverage has been really wild over the last, um, probably since around that eviction date, I would say, is when there's been a real spike. Um, where I think the Age have taken an editorial position, sort of uh, criticising the state government's process through all of this, um, and have provided really good on-the-ground coverage. Um, there's been, like you mentioned, international coverage, New York Times. In the last week, there was a solidarity action in East Timor. There's also been solidarity actions in... France and in Germany. Last week there was another solidarity action in Warung in Sydney. Mm, that um, was huge. Beautiful yeah, photos was, were taken there. Yeah. Which was pulled together really quickly and was really big. Um, really great speakers um, from local mob up there and also settler supporters. Um, yeah, so I just, I guess I just wanted to encourage everyone who is going to be in Nam or Melbourne this Tuesday to get along to the rally, organise to get that morning off. Any commitments, if you can, there's really big interest in this rally. I think it's going to be really huge. The uh, 
some speakers and performances will be announced over the coming days. So if you're not already following the Facebook page for it, uh, hop on that and mm. you'll be able to hear those over the next couple of days. Um, and yeah, just participate in this in this campaign, in this movement that's generating huge momentum that is really like really unique and distinguished by like how unapologetic uh, Jopurong people are in asserting their sovereignty. So I think it was yesterday actually they have an evicted camp but um, or attempted to evict camp but some major age projects workers showed up in the area to try to commence some work um, and a few embassy supporters just went over to meet them. Very peaceful but also very staunch and very strong. Um, just spoke to them, told them they were in violation of Jopuron sovereignty, told them that they didn't have consent to be here, um, and just stayed there and walked them off. Um, and so I guess, and I actually did see Dan Andrews, because he's sort of for a really long time did this really annoying politician thing where he's just completely silent, like pretends nothing's happening. Mm. I would say for like 12 months mm. he did that where he just did not say a word about this campaign um, or about this project that his government's proposing. Um, in the last couple of weeks since there's been such huge media coverage, there's been a couple of statements. I actually saw them quoted in SBS, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before, talking about how he's going to continue acting in good faith to try to find a solution. Um now, that's a little bit of a change in language from what he's used previously. He's sort of, like, to me, that sort of implies some level, finally, of, like, recognition or that there is a problem because he's sort of been in denial a little bit. Also, I'd really dispute... Obviously, I'm a seller supporter, so it's important to locate myself, and this is for Japan people to comment on. I personally would dispute that he's been acting in good faith at any point. He's had many invitations from the embassy to engage in dialogue, Um to come and visit, he's not taken any of the, up any of those opportunities, and he's actually very disingenuously when he has negotiated different things with Eastern Ma and Martin after the protests had commenced to like save one tree and then three trees and then fifteen trees. Mm. Um, people would put out media releases trying to frame that as some sort of like resolution or negotiation that had been reached with the embassy, where there's been no no dialogue there whatsoever and no good faith interaction there whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. Well, now there's just so much um, media that's covering this issue that he really mm. has to comment on it. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And, and interestingly, there's quite a significant amount of like traditionally Labor-supporting political infrastructure that is really turning on him mm. and turning on the Labor state government over this issue. So a couple of weeks ago, there was an event at Trades Hall where uh, Trades Hall have endorsed the Jopurong Embassy struggle um, and sent up a convoy. There was an event outside Trades Hall in the morning with lots of different um, representatives of different unions attending um, who all then convoyed to the embassy together um, in a really nice show of solidarity. Um, and, yeah, there's just like a little bit too much um, political damage I think he's taking to ignore it any longer. Um Oh, one thing I did I did want to point out or just make clear to people is this campaign has been going for 15 months now. So if you haven't connected with it before, it's never too late to. So if you're based around the city and, like, 
this rally would be your first contact point and you're maybe feeling weird about it, just don't, just come along. Um, and then I'm imagining there's quite a lot of people who maybe got involved at the start and may have maybe disconnected or a little bit or lost touch with the campaign. This is a great time while everything seems to be reaching a bit of a head to reconnect as well. There's three, as far as I know, contingents being organised. So an Asian contingent, a Jewish contingent and a uh, Muslim contingent. So if you want to sort of organise in your community um, uh, or wanting an entry point and maybe don't know that many people, you can uh, look at those avenues. Um, but, yeah, everyone try to organise your workplaces, try to organise um, your, your social groups, your family, and get along. Yeah. So, again, for people, that rally is at Parliament House this Tuesday starting at 8.30. Um, so, yeah, get down there. And any photos that you take, um, just use the hashtag no trees, no treaty. And, um, yeah, tag Daniel Andrews in as many of those social media posts as possible. Thank you so much, Nish, for joining us on 3CR 855 AM. Thanks for your time. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55 a.m. It is almost 20 past 8 today on the 5th of September. Um, just before we heard from Nish about the Jabberwung Solidarity Rally next Tuesday morning, get down there. And right now we're really lucky to be joined in the studio by the wonderful co-curators of the Code Switch show at Black Dot Gallery. Good morning, both. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> Do you want to just both introduce yourself for listeners? Yeah. Uh, just before I start, I'd like to just acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we have gathered on this morning and pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. Um, hello. Good morning, everyone. My name is Marina Benini. I'm a proud Yodi Yoda Woyrong woman. And I'm an artist, curator, and producer. And I'm here this morning with my incredible co-curator, Tyson Campbell. Morena Fano, how are you? Um, 
Yeah, my name's Tyson. Um, um, te rarua Nati uh, Maniapoto. Um, sorry, Whakapapa um, to Aotearoa. Um, but this is where I practice and be. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for trucking in early this morning. So your show opens next Thursday, I think, at mm-hmm. Black Dot. Would one of you like to give us a bit of an overview about where the show came from and what it's about? Yeah, so our show Code Switch is part of the Critical Mass program that falls under Fringe Festival. And Critical Mass is a crowding of crucial ideas at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute, Sightworks and Black Dot Gallery during the Fringe Festival. So that will open, like you said, on the 12th of September and then it will go through until the 28th of September. Uh, so our show will be open at Black Dot Gallery in those dates and our opening is next Thursday. And our show, I can give you a little bit of a spiel about it. So this exhibition situates itself at the intersection of Indigenous knowledge, exchange and embodiment. Alternative knowledge systems are currently gaining cultural capital and we are witnessing the Art Academy actively courting Indigenous knowledge systems into its fold as a form of decolonising. We might ask, is it decolonising or recolonising? To decolonize is a continued project of the Anglo-Celtic value system. Therefore, it is imperative to ask, who benefits from the labor of such research? We are interested in how alternative knowledge systems can be employed beneficially in artistic research while considering the implications and ethics in the turn towards towards indigenous knowledge systems within the art academy. So that's the show, and uh, we have our artists, and uh, we have Gabby Briggs, Kishil Sharan, Megan Cope, Tamsin Hopkinson, Ashley Perry, Bronte Perry, and James Tyler. And then we also have uh, writing and research papers by Sarah Daly, Brian Martin, Hannah Presley, and an essay by Tyson and myself. Which we are currently working on. <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing lineup of folks. Mm-hmm. So exciting. And Tyson, can you, so with the title of the show, Code Switch, for listeners who aren't aware, what does that mean and why did you choose that as the title? Well, I guess what's, I guess, well, code switching for me um, implies, like, where I've come from. So, like, the language that might be appropriate to my experience um, outside of academic training. Um, For example, like... um, oh, that's really scucks, or, like, I'm so over that, that's, um, that's be really putter, which means, like, dirty, or, like, um, um, the Pakia over there are, like, really, um, like, spouting their mouth off or something, spouting their mouth off, and, like, <laughs> I, um, I'm getting a ho-ha about it. <laughs> um, and that's, like, that's, like, those are, like, those, the way that we, the way that you, we speak like that is really important to our identity, but then we forget how important it is when we engage in predominantly like white centric spaces with academic um, discourse as like the summit of how we professionally develop ourselves. So I think code switch here, like code switch, is like understanding like the agendas of um, institutional training, but then to also upset it with your own um, experience. Mm. Yeah. And not to like hold the people that you reflect at a at a arm's distance. Mm. Yeah. And in that sort of spiel that you read out before, there was you know sort of talking about I guess uh, the the whiteness of the dominant art industry. You know that these spaces, these galleries, um, are super colonial in so many ways. 
and what does it mean for those spaces to be sort of uh, quote unquote more open to you know First Nations art practice or you know increasingly um, including heaps of like really rad you know First Nations artists in their lineups and things like that and in many ways fantastic but also how I don't know, I guess for me I have this question around what do you mean in that in your description of the show around the tension between decolonizing and recolonizing? Um, that's a really great question. Um, <laughs> thank you for putting that into the fall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so recolonizing, decolonizing. Okay, so I guess the idea is that like whatever like an art um, market is desiring at the time, it all funnels through um, like one space. Um, that has particularly used exclusion as its base model. So, like, what's the advantage of continuing to funnel labour into those spaces that have forged their existence without you? Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, that's where I think recolonising or decolonising come into play because it still benefits Mm -hmm. things that have... You know, it still benefits something Mm -hmm. that's against you. So... I guess it's always like, oh, fuck the institution, or like, let's uh, let's make a new institution. But you really do need to understand the intricacies of how institutions work before you can initiate your own mm. like alternative. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, like, and then have this big grand idea of change, but then like, okay, like you're left in the dust, you know. So mm. you need to like, you need to like know, mm. you need to know what you're fighting against before you can actually start something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Otherwise, you are unintentionally creating something that you actually were trying to push against. Yeah, and it's a resource. Like it's like like universities or like institutional structures are a resource that you can like use and mine to like funnel into a different project. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is a really interesting um, yeah exhibition happening because um, yeah code switching is talked about a lot in America and. We haven't really heard it being talked about in like a so-called Australian context. Mm. I mean, people like it's, it happens naturally, don't you think, Marina? Yeah, it happens naturally. Like, so. like for example, like I don't know I love the word Gavin. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, would you want to talk about that a little bit more? But like, I just think it's like it already happens. It's just like mm-hmm. this maybe this like a sense of like oh, like CBF or something like yeah. I think it's always um, in conversation. I mean, like, the show came from the many conversations Tyson and myself have had about our own experiences being, like, Indigenous bodies, um, being within institutions and, you know, navigating that space and reflecting on our own time there. But like Tyson said, like, I can speak for myself in saying that I wouldn't be where I am without the institution, but I can reflect on that and, like, critique those structures because they are what they are, but they aren't who I am and they, mm. don't, they don't have that boundary for myself. And um, I think, again, from the conversation that Tyson and I have been having, having is that this show also talks about collaboration and, like, what a collaboration looks like, but also, like, with a non-Indigenous person entering into a collaboration with an Indigenous person, also just, like, going into that collaboration and not expecting anything and not feeling like they have to take something or that there has to be an outcome from that. Yeah, so I think that also speaks to... Well, yeah, that's because that's the thing as well. It's like, well, part of the show's premise is that we already have relationships with the people that we're, that we're mm-hmm. organising or whatever. So, like, that's a huge thing. And we all have relationships with Black Dog Gallery before you even went there. 
and it's everything's like a value system's already forged before you before we go in there with like whatever it is that we want to go in there with, you know. So it's it's got a stable foundation, and um, our relationships with people also like are predicated on elevating each other. You know, mm. it's not like it's not like there's no like suspicion, mm. and I think that's I don't think that's a really interesting thing about the group of people, the group of art- artists is. Um, that usually like antagonism like brushes up against like whiteness and then like it's it's manifests in this kind of hopeful way or the like, institutional critique. But what happens when um when sus- like uh being suspicious is like taken away? Mm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You just have so much more trust in who you're working with and like the goals that you were trying to achieve, which is really difficult sometimes in institutions when you are working with so many settlers and you know, white people. <laughs> they don't want to leave their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and God, there's so much more that we can do. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we'd really we're spiraling. <laughs> Back in the show, like you know, maybe while the exhibition's still on, to keep yeah. talking about you know relationships as the foundation for organising, so whether that's art organising, political organising, you know, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are running out of time on the show this morning. Can you just very very quickly give listeners the key details for how they can come along to this rad exhibition? Yes. Yeah, so Thursday, twelfth of September next week, there is an opening six to eight o'clock at Black Talk Gallery. We have guest performances by Balawaru and Carly Shepherd, and we have DJ Don't Underestimate this pussy performing as well so come through for a party and have a squeeze at some incredible artwork and sit around the fire and just um chill yeah (laughs) (laughs) just be just be (laughs) all right well that's all we've got time for on thursday breakfast this morning um Get down to Black Dot next Thursday. Tomorrow, make sure you stay tuned to see what happens with the federal court hearing for Puria and Nadesh, um, and make sure you show your support if there are any actions. And also get down to Parliament House next Tuesday for the Solidarity Japarong rally. Yeah, it's been a great show this morning. Um, we'll see you next Thursday. Stay tuned for Lost in Science and Friday Breakfast tomorrow morning. See ya. Bye. <laughs>